This is the 99 Black Podcast. Welcome to the 99 Black Podcast. My name is Wes, and this is your Monday BS with Wes, and we are continuing through the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 4 was our book for last week, and if you have not checked that out, please go listen to that or please go watch it because it is such a cornerstone to so much of what we understand in the Christian faith that you are saved uh, through faith, but by God's grace. And we're actually going to get into a little more of that today in today's BS Bible study, uh, Romans chapter 5. So we did all of Romans 4 last week. We packed it all in and told this story about Abraham and how Abraham was saved by his faith. And the, the question was, well, how are people saved in the Old Testament? And Abraham showed us, what that looked like. And today we're in Romans 5, and we're going to go with the first 11 verses. And I'm going to kind of switch it up a little bit, where I typically read out of the NLT, but today we're going to be uh, doing an ESV style, English Standard Version. I really like um, the phrasing of some of these words. And the reason I, I chose the ESV is not just for phrasing, but I prefer to teach out of the ESV, because uh, it is more word-for-word translation, and NLT is a more thought-for-thought translation. So that's kind of how some of the translations work, where some of them are more specific to the wording of the original manuscripts, and the other ones are more original to the thought or idea of each phrase in the manuscripts. We are in Romans 5, and we're going to pick up kind of off of this idea that we are saved by faith in Christ and that this is the way that Abraham was saved and this is the way that people in the Old Testament were saved. They were saved by faith in God's revealed plan. Now, in the Old Testament, the revealed plan wasn't so revealed. It was concealed. We've talked about that and it is revealed to us through Christ. So that's cool. One verse, uh, I like to always kind of grab a verse if I can from last week. One of the verses that summarized last week was Romans 4, 3. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, uh, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So that was the summary of last week. Abraham believed God, and if we believe God, now, through the sacrifice of Christ, we can be saved. And that's, that's how we'll be made righteous. So like every week, we're looking for four things. Uh, we want to summarize what we, what we read when we're done. Uh, we want to see what stands out. We want to see what it says about God, uh, Jesus, or Holy Spirit. Uh, we want to see uh, what it says about us or humanity. Um, I, I literally, five minutes ago, just put my daughter to bed, and I was explaining to her, it's always great when you can do three things where you can summarize what you read in a couple of sentences, where you can see what does this passage say about God, and what does it say about me, or what does it say about people, and if you read scripture that way, you are less prone to eisegete the passage, where you are forcing in your own 
ideas. You might I'm not saying it's foolproof, but I'm trying to teach my kids a little to be little exegetical studiers and uh, really understand what the scripture's saying and not just pick apart um, one little verse and make it all about me. Today in Romans 5, there are a few key phrases or topics that we're going to touch on. And I have definitions because I'm all about definition. And I'm not talking about like muscular definition, which I would like to be about that, but um, that hasn't happened quite yet. We're talking about definitions of words today, and I have four, three or four specific words that I wanted to give some clarity on what they mean. Um, because sometimes we use these words that are Christianese or Bible needs. I don't know. I don't think Bible needs is a word, but anyways, it's it's words that you hear when you uh, hear a sermon or you read in the Bible, and you're like, I don't typically use that word, or maybe I haven't used that word often, or I hear that word sometimes, but I don't know how it applies to Scripture, and we're going to kind of look at some of that. The four topics or words that I'm looking at today uh, are justification, hope, which I know you might, you probably know what hope means, but you might not understand it in some of these contexts. Justification, hope, timing, or God's sovereignty, and reconciliation, which is really great. So we're going to read, uh, and we're going to get to the first 11 verses here. We're going to start with Romans 5, verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God through Jesus, and that's how we are justified. So what does it mean to be justified? What is justification when it comes to the realm of salvation? Justification is defined as the act of making someone right with God. You're being made right with God. That's that's all it is. It's very simple. See, justification takes place when God declares those who place their faith in Christ to be righteous. So God declares you righteous, uh, and it's whoever places their faith in Christ. If you, That's how you're made righteous. All right, so it's be, basically you are made right. That's what justified means. Galatians chapter 2 has a verse about being justified. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Remember, we've talked plenty about the law here. Uh, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. So we are made right by faith in Jesus, in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one is justified. No one is made right with God by works of the law. How are they made right? Well, let's continue in Romans 5, verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, by faith through grace. This is a common phrase, especially in Protestant circles. We are saved by faith through, uh, through his grace. All right? We are saved by our faith in Christ through the grace of God to even 
allow us. And, and verse 2 in the ESV says to obtain access uh, by faith. We, we obtain access to Christ uh, and to God um, by faith and to grace. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So hope is the next word I wanted to talk about. We talked about justification being made right. What about hope? Because when I think about hope, um, the first thing that comes to mind is like, I hope that happens, but it's no, there is no uh, expectation, right? It's, it's wishful thinking. And when we say that, hey, our hope is in Christ, people may get confused and be like, well, you hope you're right, right? You have wishful thinking that says, I have wishful thinking that Christ is going to save me, or I have wishful thinking that I will be saved, or I have wishful thinking that Christ is going to return. That is not what the word hope means here. I want to give some clarification on hope. We have hope in Christ, and hope is, in a short way to explain it, is an expectation or looking forward. Hope is defined as the expectation that some desire will be fulfilled. In Scripture, hope always focuses forward with confident expectation or firm belief in the fulfillment of God's promises. So when I say I have hope in Christ, it just means that I have uh, a firm belief or a confident expectation. Not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. I am just waiting for Christ's return. I am just waiting for God to move. I am just waiting for God to to do something, to reveal himself, to change me, to to affect those around me. Like I'm waiting for God to do something. I have firm belief that he will, and I have a confident expectation that he will do that. And that is what we mean when we see hope. So once again, let me read this uh, couple of verses And you'll see what I mean about hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, in firm belief, in confident expectation, right? And that is hope, all right? So anytime someone tries to trip you up and say, you Christians just, you just believe by faith, you just blind faith, you don't believe in evidence, you don't, everything is just wishful thinking because you use words like hope. No, that is not correct. First, first of all, an atheist or a uh, non-Bible believing person, a person that believes the Bible is false, like explicitly, they use completely different vocabulary than we use for things. And faith is one example of that, where they equate faith to blind faith. We do not do that. We know that faith is trust. Remember, we talked about that last week. And if you didn't know that, maybe you didn't listen last week. So go back and check it out. Um, the, we have hope and our hope just means a firm belief, a confident expectation. And that's good news. And it says we rejoice in hope. So Christians should be happy. I mean, like we should be excited. We, we are rejoicing. We, at least we should be. Um, if you're a Christian and you're not rejoicing about having a firm belief, a confident hope in salvation through Christ, like what are you doing? 
what church body are you a part of that you need to separate from? Or are you not even part of a church body? Because you're missing out on a group of corporate, uh, a corporate gathering of believers coming together and say, we have hope. We have hope. We have firm belief. We are confident that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, which is what, exactly what Abraham did in the passage last week. And I really like the next few verses. These are Romans 5, uh, 3 through 5. And there's some interesting, some interesting word play or word repetition going on. It talks about sufferings. Uh, now, I am not in the camp of health and wealth prosperity gospel. There are a few reasons for that. First of all, it's not biblical. Look at the disciples. Were they healthy and wealthy? Uh, no, they're dead. And uh, you might be too if, you know, if there's persecution going on. But uh, thankfully in the West, that's not a real issue in the same way that it is in other parts of the country. But would you be ready for that? Now, that's not the topic of this. It talks about sufferings, though. And sufferings do something. Uh, verse 3 says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. All right, so what does suffering do? Suffering leads to endurance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. So a lot of times we look at suffering as only a bad thing. And I know it doesn't feel good. Like it feels bad to suffer. But it does something to you that would not happen to you otherwise. It builds you into a person that you would not be built into otherwise. Um, Kelly Clarkson famously says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Metallica says, what doesn't... Uh, it, what doesn't kill you makes you more strong, or something along those lines. There's many songs. I would I would venture to say there are hundreds of songs that reference what doesn't uh, ultimately take you out, build you into something. And a lot of us have stories of things we have suffered, and some of us are uh, mature enough to look back and say that suffering caused me to understand patience. It caused me to have endurance through future hard times. And then it also built character in me. And that character leads to hope because I have gone through the ringer, right? And I endured it. And because I endured it, it made me a fierce man or, or woman. And now because I have seen God work through my suffering, I have seen who God has made me to be. Now that gives me hope because I know God and I know his character. And also, it's important to mention that Jesus suffered and he endured and he has the greatest character as a man and of course he's God and he is the bringer of hope. So we can't always look at suffering as a bad thing. Suffering doesn't feel good. I mean, it's def it's in the definition. It's implied. Suffering does not feel good, but that doesn't mean it's not good. 
Because if you ever meet somebody who has lived the life of luxury, they have never had to suffer, they have never had to want, I guarantee you cannot stand being around a person like that. Why? Because they have no character. They haven't been built into anything. It's just all fluff. And if you meet people that are trying to tell you, like, biblically, you know, you should always be prospering. You should always be wealthy. Well, that contradicts Scripture. And people that are only wealthy and only prosperous in their life, when I say only, I mean, like, that's all they've ever experienced. They don't know the hope of God. Because they've never seen that they're drowning. We talk about repentance and sin and, and our need to uh, our need for a savior, right? Ask somebody who's never suffered if they need to be saved. Because they're not going to understand what they need to be saved from. And the fact that they have suffered will lead to endurance. And so that I really like that. That's very cool passage in Romans. Suffering is important. I don't want to suffer. But I look back and I know that the times that I have suffered, and I know that in the future the times that I will suffer, they will build me, uh, they will build endurance, it will build character, and ultimately it will build my hope. Because in those moments, I lean in real hard to Jesus. I lean in in real hard to prayer and trying to uh, just give it to God because there's some things that you go through and you're like, there is literally literally. Nothing else I can do right now besides give this to God. Now, it should be our first response where we're like, oh, some things are going good. I give it to God. Things are going bad. I give it to God. But I'm being a realist here. I'm being honest. Like, oftentimes it's the last thing that we do. uh, But no matter what, this is what we should do. And it will produce hope. And so I really like that. Um. And we will continue. Here we go. For while we were still weak, in verse 6, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Christ die for? He died for sinners. So, like I said earlier, someone that doesn't understand that they're a sinner doesn't seek salvation. And the condition of our culture is that when I do whatever I will, that's not a sin. When I do everything I want to do, uh, and it's not of God, that doesn't matter. I don't sin. I'm a good person, and we get lost in that. I find verse 6 interesting because it says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that mean, that at the right time? Have you ever thought about, I know I think about this a lot, what if Jesus would have came, uh, you know, in the year uh, 1000 BC? Or what if Jesus came in 1930? You know, I think about how it would have been different. Me personally, I think about a few things. I think about, uh, you know, the census. So I, I saw somewhere someone pointed out that, you know, Jesus was born in a census year. Why? Well, because they had to write his name down. You know, right, is they had to formulate evidence for his existence. And I think, you know, the longer that time goes on, the more skeptical people become of everything because we're entering an age where we're skeptical of every type of belief 
Uh, we're skeptical of, you know, the shape of the earth. We're skeptical of who, if the president is really a clone or if he's, you know, something else. Like, we have all these speculations and conspiracies, and the more knowledge that we have, the less we believe anything. And I think that Jesus came at the time that he did because he knew. Romans, uh, I mean, uh, Galatians 4, there's another passage in Galatians. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to ransom those under the law so that we might receive adoption. All right, so we are adopted as believers uh, into the family of God. But he was born under the law. And so it seems to point to, in this passage in Galatians, that Jesus came during this time uh, with the Jews in uh, under Roman leadership uh, to kind of be born in that time period where the law was still really prevalent, uh, or prevalent, I think I said prevalent, sorry. And uh, this is the time where Jesus needed to come. So God is sovereign. So God is outside of the creation of time. There's just look at time like a big string, and God's holding the string, right? Uh, so he's not restrained to it. And God knew in his sovereign in his sovereign knowledge that it this was the perfect time for Jesus to come because then what happens after Jesus comes? He dies, uh, he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven 40 days uh, later, and then in the book of Acts, we see the disciples start being given the Holy Spirit and speaking in other languages, and then 3,000 people being saved in one day, and then it's just spreading through the world. And I think the way that it's spread through the world uh, like that is a, one more piece of evidence of why it was the perfect time. I mean, just think about it. If, if it would have happened later, would the whole world know like we do? Uh, it, it's pretty awesome to think about. It's pretty crazy. It's kind of mind-boggling. Like, how, you know, if it would have happened, if Christ would have came at, a, uh, at another time, what would it have meant? But God knew because God is sovereign. And that's some really good news. And in verse 6, it says, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Now, we've talked a lot about righteous. What does righteous mean? Well, it just means morally right, okay? And though perhaps for a good person, one would uh, dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is an awesome verse. See, it's saying that, you know, someone might, dare to die for someone that they think is a good person. But God, who is perfect, who is revealed to us in the Son, Christ Jesus, while we were still sinners, he died for us. So who would who would die for a who would sacrifice their life for a good person? Well, we've seen that happen. We there's great people that do it and have done it all throughout history. But who would die for someone that doesn't deserve it? That list is few and far between, but we know that exactly that's exactly what Christ has done on our behalf. So Christ has died. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9 
Since therefore we have now been justified or made right by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we will not inherit the wrath of God because we have put our trust of salvation in Jesus. But those who don't repent and follow Christ, they will face the wrath. Why? Because they have not been justified. They haven't been made right. So if you're not made right, then you face the penalty for not being made right. We've talked about a few weeks ago, I think, penal uh, substitutionary atonement, where Christ has taken the penalty and he has been the substitute for your punishment, all right? And there are people that don't accept Christ and who he said he was and what he did for us. And they will not be justified by his blood. And they won't be saved by his wrath. And this isn't a message to scare anybody. I'm not trying to scare you out of hell, even though I would be doing you a huge favor. No, I'm just trying to point out that if God is just, and if God is, well, first of all, if God was fair, uh, we would all be going to hell because we are all sinners. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We talked about that. And Christ brings the good news that we don't have to suffer that. So we are saved from the wrath of God. It says the uh, we will be saved by him from the wrath of God. And those that do not trust in the sacrifice, those who tr- let's put it this way. Let's not say those that don't trust in Christ. Those that put their trust in themselves will face the wrath of God. Those that put their trust in Christ will not. And that's great news. God has made it so easy for us. Verse 10, For if, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. All right, we were enemies of God because of our nature. But we have been reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are reconciled. And I love this word. Um, reconciliation is defined as uh, the restoration of a relationship to a harmonious state after a dispute. It is bringing of one accord out of discord between two parties, uh, bringing you together like unity. Christian reconciliation is the work of God through Christ by which he restores mankind to a favorable relationship with himself. God has reconciled mankind to himself. And that's this, this uh, you know, it's not, it's not considered fair. It's grace. It is, may, let me see, let me read this definition. Christian reconciliation is the work of God through Christ by which he restores, he, not us, restores mankind to a favorable relationship with himself. So, God has put us in a favorable position to himself. He has made us friends. We are friends of God. When we are reconciled to him by Christ Jesus. I want to read one more verse that, that ties to this idea of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He made us friends to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So not only has he reconciled us, he's trusted us with this message. Now, this is one thing when we get on the topic of divorce that I always think about. You know, God is a God of reconciliation. He has reconciled himself to a broken, uh, sinful people. Whoever, you know, whatever you've done, if you turn from that and just trust that God will save you through Christ, then you are reconciled to him. And in the same way, when couples separate, it is God's ultimate goal for them to be reconciled to each other, not to divorce, but to make it right and to come back together because God is a God, uh, a healing God. He heals He heals physically, but he heals uh, relationships, and he's healed the relationship between uh, us and him, and he wants to re- heal relationships between those who are uh, separating. And so God is a God of reconciliation. And that's, and that's the end of Romans 5, that he has reconciled us, and we have received it. We have been made right. We have been made clean through Christ in the eyes of God. And uh, that's the good news. So we're going to do our four things and get out of here. Summarize what we read. So we have been justified by the sacrifice of Christ. That is the, that is the theme of this passage. We have been justified. We have been made right. How have we been made right? Through Christ's work, not our own. All right. What what do we see that stands out um, in this passage? Well, the thing that stood out to me in this passage was uh, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not hold our our, our, our law-breaking, our record against us. While we were still sinners, while we are still sinning, Christ died for us. He knew our sins. He knew they were coming, and he still died because he, he knew how we are. He knew what we would do. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That stands out to me, and I love it. All right, what does the passage say about God? Um, his heart is for reconciliation. And you may have been far from God, but his heart is that you would be reconciled to him and that you would now be made a friend of God, that you would be in relationship with him because that is his character. His character is good. God's character is that of reconciliation. And lastly, what does this say about us? Well, there's this piece about suffering. Remember that? We may suffer, uh, but it is producing a good work in us when we do. And sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow. But it produces endurance, which produces character. And don't you want to be someone that's known for your endurance and character? But endurance and character of of what? One that leads to hope. So my character matches that of Christ Jesus because I have a firm belief and a strong confidence and an expectation of what Christ is going to do and has done, and that gives me a lot of hope. And that's today, Romans 5, 1 through 11. And next week, we're going to be discussing the second portion of Romans 5, which is Adam's act 
versus Jesus's act. And we're going to see what it uh, says about that. So thanks so much for joining me for uh, Monday BS with Wes. If you like this episode, would you please like it, subscribe to our YouTube, share it with a friend. Uh, we uh, would benefit from that exponentially if you would do that. And not only that, comment and let us know what you like about the episode. Maybe comment on what you thought about this passage. Maybe one of your favorite verses. We would love to interact with you on all the different social medias and videos and all that stuff where you can find us. So please support us if you like us uh, because we would love it. And so thanks so much for listening to Monday BS with Wes. I'll see you next week.